if you just do the math, right, getting 8% on your money isn't going to retire anybody earlier than it would if it was in the stock market or some other alternative. You've got to get some really big hits. And those hits come from being an active operator. And, you know, you just have to be good with that. You have to be comfortable with running down that road. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Mistress. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure of having my man from Jersey, Jerry Sanchez, in the building with me today. Jerry, he saw the post. I don't know if it was in the Facebook group or some other place on social media. I said, look, let me give you 30 minutes where I can just give you straight whatever I can to help you get that multifamily kickstart. Jerry jumped on, signed up right away. He scheduled it out like a month from when he saw it, but he jumped in, signed up right away. So, Jerry, grateful to have you here. And I just want to dive in, man, unless you got some other things you want to throw out there. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, actually, I, I listened to you a couple, a couple, I think it was on the, uh, the multifamily investigation, and you mentioned how you got to start to get yourself out there. So, that was actually a a great motivation for myself. I, I even though I like marketing and, and social media, I've never been one that's on social media a lot. So I actually recently just got myself on Facebook. And so if I just started clicking buttons and joining myself and not knowing what I got into, uh, let me know. That's phenomenal. But you say that, man, but you've got this phenomenal meetup that's happening on Thursday nights. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. So, I mean, they know that you you got some stuff going already and then we could jump into whatever questions you have for me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, part of it was, you know, I uh, here I am in New Jersey, you know, multifamily investor. Uh, looking to network and meet and find, you know, operators to invest with. That's how my journey started out about a year and a half ago. You know, did a, an LP investment in New Jersey of a great operator, very transparent. I learned a lot and, you know, started to talk my, my, what I was doing to, to others in my group, you know, friends and family and, and kind of said, Hey, you know, we can get into doing, you know, investing in multifamily, buying a building. Oh, you know, how do you do that? And, kind of went through the journey of learning how to do. And once I did, we started looking at markets and, and, you know, the Carolinas just checked all the boxes and, you know, places like Raleigh and Durham and where, you know, jobs and people are moving. And, you know, essentially I started to say, let me, you know, how do I meet people? And, and we're in this world of virtualness after the pandemic and kind of took advantage of the fact that, that uh, Zooms and meetups and, and, giving us the opportunity to connect with people that weren't, you know, close or physically. So I got the idea of putting together the Carolina multifamily connection and meetup where, you know, the top idea is out-of-state investors getting together and networking with Carolina-based network investors and operators. Man, that's exciting. And I think it's unique. Most people have no real aim or goal when they get into something like this. So this is outstanding, man. So, I mean, tell me more or ask some questions, man. How can, how can we serve you best today? 
Yeah. So, you know, you know, one of the things that I have is, as, you know, as I start the journey and start the multifamily business and moving it along is, you know, actually networking and finding boots in the ground partners is an important aspect of it. I think for many of those that are, are the ultimate goals to get out of the W-2 and eventually become an operator, uh, it's challenging to find the time and systems in place. So, you know, I'm looking, you know, for uh, always to network with others who have a roadmap and, you know, ways to do something that I, I can do that, you know, let's get further faster, that idea. And it's very disciplined as far as making sure that you start to, you know, for instance, my when my kids played soccer when they were little, you know, the, the trainers used to say, oh, you know, you got to get your touches in, you know, touch that ball, right? So for us, it's the same thing. Make sure you're reaching out to brokers. Make sure you're, you're reaching out, you know, consistently to potential partners. So that's one of the challenges. And I think, uh, you know, making sure that uh, you keep doing that and hold each other accountable is something that I'm always working on. Yeah. So from a partnership standpoint, you know, you're, you're trying to build relationships with people who you've probably never had physical contact with. And I think that can be pretty difficult because the relationships, especially with men, are typically built through work, right? Being side by side, being in the same proximity and seeing things happen. And, and you're, you work in a pretty intense environment in your day job. And so, you know, trying to build these relationships from what I would consider a matrix organization where it's pretty easy to put on <laughs> right now, right? You can just put on a jacket and a, a collared shirt and present to the world that you're prof- super professional and buttoned up and you got gym shorts on underneath or your pajamas. And so <laughs> the hurdle of figuring out who's real and who's not is pretty important. What I think is going to be extremely uh, beneficial for you on your journey is just really digging into the person's track record and background and experience. The investing space is pretty small. When you're dealing with somebody who hasn't done much, it's going to be pretty difficult to find anything about them. But for the people who I think have re- who have done a few deals or done a deal, people are going to have an opinion about them and you'll be able to get a really pretty, well, you'll get a good read once you spend enough time in the world. Basically, you will know at least two people who knows the person that you're talking to, if they're actually somebody who's boots on the ground. And when I think boots on the ground, I think of them as an operator, not just as a bird dog or that's code word for somebody that just goes out and finds stills for you or goes and takes pictures at a property that you're interested in looking at. One of the books that I read that was transformational for me in 2020 was Sizing People Up by Robin Dreek. And that allows, allows you to see if that person is really looking to build with you. Uh, the book is about trust. The, the lesson that I had to learn was that liking somebody doesn't mean that you should trust them. There's a lot of people that you like, but that doesn't mean that you should trust them. And that right there is a pretty hard pill to swallow because you want to think, why would I like somebody that I can't trust? And what the truth of the matter is there's six behaviors that indicate whether or not you can predict what the person's going to do. 
And if you can predict what the person is going to do, then you can trust them because you've got some insight into what the outcome is going to be. Does that make sense? It does. I think I think it's a great point because it, you you know you you bring up about work and you know huddling up, you know, and there's you know you go to work and you, know, you may have a relationship with someone and but you never know until there's some really moment of distress, you know, and how someone reacts and acts. And that's a great point. So. I know. Interesting enough, you, you may trust people that you don't like either, right? You, you can absolutely trust people that you don't like. Trust is all about being able to predict what they're going to do, right? And if you can predict what they're going to do, then you can protect yourself. It's the people who you have no idea what they're going to do that are the real risk because they're a wild card. Just like in, I was talking to somebody who plays poker and he said, look, man, I'm not gambling when I play poker. I know the potential outcomes that are there. And based on the cards that are played, I have the same amount of information as everybody else. And so I can make my wager based on the risk associated with it and the likelihood of or the probability of my success. And that's the exact same concept here, right? If you know what's going to happen. And the great thing about real estate is this insider trading is okay. <laughs> Inside traders are okay. The, the more information you have, the more advantaged you are. And that in and of itself is really valuable. So another challenge, uh, you know, I obviously being able to know, like, trust uh, is you're building a team from afar um, is, you know, trying to find that team that complements your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, if you are, you know, if time is a weakness or you may be someone, maybe a good underwriter, but not, you know, good, you know, um, speaker or marketer, you know, you know, so I think that's something that's a challenge when you meet potential partners to, to almost be able to save time and say, well, you know, I'm not looking for this or, you know, I'm looking for that. Like, you know, how do you manage that process while still maintaining a relationship, but, you know, being stern enough to say, well, you know, maybe, you know, we can't necessarily work together, but you know, we could still share and, and learn from each other. Yeah, I think the easiest way to cover that one is to be very open about what you are looking for, right? Here's what I'm looking for in a partner and let the people self-select out of that, right? And, you know, one of the things that I get grief about from time to time is I, I'm very open about profit isn't my motivation first, right? I want to make an impact and I want my investments to make an impact. And so if the person who's trying to maximize their revenue, their money to their pocket does not want to partner with me. And that's okay. Right. I want the flexibility. I want the flexibility to be able to make whatever decisions that make the most sense for the property long range, because for me, this is a career, right? I'm going to do this longer than I was in corporate, mainly because I like the ability to maneuver, manipulate, and deliver an outstanding result for not only me, but for the residents who are investing in us by paying the mortgage each month, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with that from a standpoint of, you know, I know that it's my goal to be the deal or the deal leader, the asset manager on the majority of projects I do. So if somebody wants to be in that seat, we're going to probably have some challenges just because that's, what I've done for every deal. I don't do deals where I don't sign the loan. I, I expect to sign the loan. And so if you just want me just kind of off in the periphery, that's not my game. And 
I'm not apologetic about it because I have transparent, I have clarity and I've told people from the beginning. Now, does that make it a little more difficult? Are there more potential opportunities out there that could have happened because I kind of X'd them out and decided that they weren't going to work? Sure. But the efficiency standpoint allows me to get to the place and to the people that I am most interested in. And I think will be most interested in me because we have a high likelihood of success. And I think the last piece of that will be, you know, the more that you can share who you are in places other than one-on-one conversations allows people to either come closer to you or get further away. And it prevents the need for you to have some of those uncomfortable conversations. That makes a lot of sense. See, you mentioned not just investing for profits. And I think many of us are looking, especially like, value add and, and you're looking into your first properties and how do you balance that when you're looking at, at certain deals and, and the business plan may involve raising rents or, or evicting, you know, in order to to do that, you know, how do you balance that part with, you know, making sure that you're bettering, you know, an area or a neighborhood by, by providing a quality product? A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location for them, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. So just because I say I'm not looking to make a profit first doesn't mean that I don't expect to make money, right? You got to make money in order to be in business. It's not a not-for-profit and even not-for-profits have to work at at least zero. They can't be negative, right? So my my thought on the balance question is, I don't think that you will be in balance. I think there will be times where you're out of balance. You're probably what Pankaj calls loving on the property more than the property's loving on you. But that investment is made so that on the back end, you have less headache, you have less struggle, you have less challenge. And there's true value in that, right? Because you can sit back and we don't have to worry about that when we fix fix the issues. And so when you add the next deal in, you can focus on that deal because this one's performing as you would expect it to. And then you get through that one and you you just kind of move to the next one. I think where you get in trouble is when all of your deals are in the same phase at the same time because they all need so much attention. It's kind of like having triplets or quadruplets, like, there's only two parents. So how do you manage all of those people? Uh, I was talking to Esty. I think she has like eight kids. And so it's just like, what in the world do you do with that? Because, you know, you're working, your husband's working. You know, it's just like, what in the world? So with that said, I, I, it's one, you, you want to make sure that you're still profitable. Two, the partnership makes the decision on how much and where right? How much and where? Three, if you don't take care of the property, know that the property is not going to take care of you in the end. Like it's going to come back to bite you. 
it's a matter of doing things on your terms or being forced to do it. It's kind of like buying a new car, right? If somebody waits until the car breaks, they might not be able to shop for the best deal. If you're proactively taking care of things that you know are going to become issues, then you can shop and maybe get people to do it in off season because they're hungry for work. They may do it for a discount, but you have more control over a situation than if it was an emergency and it's got to be done right now. So you you mentioned about the different stages, you know, having properties in different stages. And also I find that, you know, networking and, and different Operators are different. Investors that I meet are in different stages of their career, which is great about this industry. I work closely with a networking group here in New Jersey, and I think the small group that we have, we push each other, we make each other accountable. But as far as supercharging now, you know, moving forward into the multifamily business, and, and particularly now that I'm down, you know, looking to invest in accounting, I want to find and network with others that are, are physically down in that area that are also looking to invest. And maybe, you know, someone that's already in a 12 unit and now is looking to go to a 50 unit or a 50 unit and go to, a, you know, a hundred, right? So, you know, what's your feeling, obviously, on recommendations in terms of, of getting out there and, and joining masterminds or groups that, that would connect you with a diverse group of people in that sense? Say the last part again, because I, you twisted it on me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Looking, you know, the importance of finding a mastermind or a group where the, the members are not just all new, but, but members are, are at different stages of their journey, you know, like whether it's stepping up from a 20 to a 50 or, you know, 50 to 100. Yeah, I, I've watched a lot of people do a bunch of surprising. I had one person, I saw a post on LinkedIn and they, we're talking about, hey, you've got to have $100 million in assets under management in order to be a part of this mastermind. And what I can say is, if you're only going to talk about your properties in the mastermind, it's going to get boring pretty quick, right? My goal is always to have multiple points because the properties part is nice, but the relationships are what matter, right? And me knowing that Jerry owns a 20 unit down the street from me doesn't really do anything. Me knowing about Jerry and his family or the family he wants and, you know, how he grew up and that he likes Rutgers and boom, boom, boom. Those are the things that actually build a relationship that allow us potentially to do deals together. And if not do deals together, then have somebody that I can call and talk to as a resource for whatever problem I'm going through. The issue with everybody being new is very, what I think most people will suspect, it's the blind leading the blind. And so I agree that you don't wanna be in a spot where everybody's new. I do think diversity within the group is important, but I don't know that deal size makes all that difference. I think what's probably more important is the structure of the deal, right? If you're doing joint ventures only, and I've made this mistake, where I've just been doing joint ventures only, and I've been in masterminds that only talk about syndication. Well, there's but so much there. And I did it because I was interested in hearing what the syndication folks were talking about from a structure standpoint, but it wasn't going to help me structure my deal any better. And I don't know that it was going to help me operate my deal any better. I do think, you know, when you get in the class of property or the business plan that you want to operate or execute is really important as well. So, 
if you're a value add person and you're talking to people who buy stuff from developers that are brand new and just in lease up phase, your two problems will only cross where it's leasing up, right? If somebody buys something from a developer, it's not fully leased up and you're willing to do a value add property where you tuck the occupancy to zero to bring it back online, those problems will intersect. But outside of that, what it's going to take to please somebody that is A++ with super amenities and what it's going to take somebody who's in workforce housing who just wants a safe, clean place to come home to are very different standards. And so I've seen people who buy A-class property go to C's and like, oh my gosh, this thing is disgusting. I can't believe anybody would live here. And I've seen people who run C properties like, why in the world would you spend any money on an Amazon locker? Right. It's just all of these just totally different views of the world. Can you take something or learn something? Potentially, but I just don't think that you have the same issues that you're working through. And, you know, the grass always looks greener for somebody else's business plan. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, for me, definitely I'm looking, you know, the value add, the joint ventures, those that are looking for those type, you know, obviously I'm focusing on Carolina, but the Southeast is, is there you know, that kind of mentorship slash, you know, uh, mastermind. And I think we started as out just talking about the no like and trust. And the more that you, again, get these touches and these meetings, you will get to learn and know each other better. And you would forge relationships that you want to partner up with. Absolutely. And if you can do the deal without partnering, do the deal without partnering, right? And people usually get into the space and like, I need partners, I need partners. It's a whole lot cheaper to pay somebody to do the thing that you don't know how to do than it is to give up equity in the deal. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Like if, especially if you're trying to build for legacy, right? Because every piece of the asset that you give away is a piece that you can't control or take for your own. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's really important. I think it's really important to partner when you syndicate because I think you're setting up two businesses at the same time. One is the operations business where you got to go find deals, you got to go through due diligence, and then you actually have to operate it. For the second leg of that is you've got to set up a money raising business, right? There is no if and or buts about it. If you don't set up the money raising business, then you won't be able to fund the deals that you find when you ever, whenever you find them. And I've seen people do that with two or three people, with one person focusing on the money, another person focusing on new acquisitions and going through due diligence, and then potentially a third person on operating the properties once they're done, right? Silo, silo, silo. But if you are doing the deals by yourself or you're doing them in joint ventures, then all of that stuff is, you don't have to worry about setting up the capital raising business. And so now it's all about finding new deals and operating them. And one or two people can do that. You don't need a ton of people to do it unless you're trying to create an ecosystem where people can meet and meet other people who are interested in doing more deals, right? Because I, I do think there is a place where, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have the net worth and liquidity and maybe the other person not have the time. And so those two people getting together makes a lot of sense. Or one person may not be great at underwriting and the other person, I don't know, can do whatever, market, or I, I don't know what it is, right? But they can have those complementary skill sets. And so they can get together. But stacking 
a ton of people or thinking that you need people as partners, I think is something that is a struggle a lot of the time. Now, it may change the size deal you buy, but remember, you'll own more of the deal, right? One of my issues with the industry, and it's marketing, I get it, is, you know, I've got 80,000 doors and I've got a bazillion dollars under management. You're not a hedge fund manager. While some people like it, but I mean, it, it really starts to talk about, it starts to sound like hedge funds instead of real estate investors. And it, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's really impressive for somebody who doesn't really understand. When you start pulling back a layer, the question that I always come to is, well, how much of that is impacting your net worth? Because if you own 1% of 100 doors, then you own one property. You know what I mean? And so let's let's stack it up and make sure that we get to a place where we don't forget what the goal is. The goal isn't assets under management. The goal isn't doors. The goal is income that comes to you or increase in net worth by the equity that you hold in the property. That's fantastic. That's a great point. That's a good point. You know, I guess, yeah, you know, if you own 3% of, you know, 100 doors and, yeah, it would probably, and, and you have less control of that than, than if you were running the deal yourself and also, you know, learning and, and, and uh, affecting the outcome. Yeah. So as a passive investor, it's phenomenal. But, you know, if you if you know you want to be an operator, and the only way to get out is to be an operator, from my perspective. Now you can transition to passive, but I really believe that you need to be a business owner in order to be successful at getting out quickly. If you just do the math, right, getting eight percent on your money isn't going to retire anybody earlier than it would if it was in the stock market or some other alternative. You got to get some really big hits, and those hits come from being an active operator, and you know. You just have to be good with that. You have to be comfortable with running down that road. Yeah, all those all great points. And uh, yeah, it, there's passive investment is great, but you would need a lot of money to invest to get the kind of passive investment that is going to uh, replace your income and lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, eight percent on a million dollars is eighty grand a year, just to put things in perspective. But people don't do that math. And also, if you're not an active investor, the depreciation. I'm not a CPA, right? But in concept, the the depreciation, if you're not an active investor, doesn't go against your active income. So are you really getting the tax benefit that is associated with real estate if you're not an active investor? That's right. No, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's good stuff. Yeah, man. Is there any more questions I can answer for you? No, that's, you know, essentially that's what, you know, looking to, 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 to kind of you know, move into that space and taking that next step of, of you know, a network, you know, mastermind, like you just mentioned, that kind of aligns. You know, I like the idea of learning more about the JV side of it and working with other local partners in the Carolinas. So, yeah, we're looking forward to the uh, seminar next week and it's going to be awesome. Man, conference is going to be amazing. This is going to drop afterwards, but I'm telling you, this is going to be exciting, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be so exciting. If you weren't there, you missed it. I'm telling you right now. Anyway, Jerry, thank you so much for jumping on with me and asking these amazing questions. These are some that I don't really hear that often, so I can tell you're digging deep. Super excited about your future. I know you're going to be extremely successful. And to the listeners, the pack is with you. We'll talk soon. 
You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you. Ooh.